chapter 7. And there's a reason why, and you'll see in just a moment. Um, as you're turning there, I also want to mention that tonight at uh, 6 o'clock we have our, our School of Evangelism. If you started last week, don't stop. Come back tonight. Uh, uh, we're going to have just three weeks. So last week was the first week. Uh, tonight is the second week. There are two, two lessons being taught tonight. And then next week, uh, two lessons. Uh, and I believe this uh, yesterday that Pastor Joe and a few people went out to uh, to do some uh, evangelism. And uh, so getting some practical uh, opportunities to do that. And I believe that next week there's also another outreach. So uh, you need to come tonight at, uh, at 6 o'clock. It's going to go between 6 and 8 o'clock thereabouts. So uh, please uh, please remember that for those that are in the School of Evangelism or if you just want to come and learn a little bit about about what it is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. Please come. Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. I have a question to ask you when I finish reading this before we pray, so you'll understand what the importance of this is. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou in all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast that thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female, of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth." And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean beasts, and of beasts that are not clean, and of fowls, and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. Now the question I want to ask before we begin the message and before we pray is, do you believe this? Now I wasn't really calling for a response, but it, but the question still remains, do you believe this? Do you believe this? I believe this, but do you believe it? Okay, well, we'll see. <laughs> For a little a little bit less than a year and a half, we have been in the book of Genesis. There would probably be some people that would have started in January of 2010 and would have already have finished it by now. We're only in chapter 7. There's a reason for that. And I want to share that reason again with you today but a little bit different uh, approach. So let's pray about that this morning. And hopefully when we finish at the end, the response to that question will be even greater. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word this morning. I do pray that you would anoint us and bless us and fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. How thankful we are that when your Spirit is in us, Lord, you have given us gifts. And one of those gifts is the gift of discernment. And I pray, Father, that not one of us would would lack in that particular gift. But that all of us, Lord God, would, would understand the importance of discernment and the discerning of spirits and the discerning of truth against error. Help us to understand these things, Lord God, as we enter into our study this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I hope that you'll bear with me then as we take a step back in our teaching of Genesis and, and in particular our, our study on the subject of dinosaurs and whether they were actually in existence in Noah's time and, and if they possibly were brought into the ark. Uh, we, were, we began that a couple of weeks ago and we'll kind of continue that on another time. But I, I'm not saying that we're not going to cover the subject any further today, but uh, I'm, I'm going to try to state the possibilities of such things having happened, but... Uh, it's not probably going to happen today. 
But to be fair to the ladies who went to the women's retreat this weekend, some who voiced their desire that I not leave them out of the loop as pertaining to our studies of the dinosaurs, and for some very personal reasons brought to me in time spent with the Lord, I have chosen to review somewhat the reasons for the time spent in the book of Genesis in general and in the issues of the ark and the dinosaurs and flood geology and the age of the earth in particular and with very serious motivation and rationale. And I'll tell you right now what that motivation and rationale is. That Satan wants to destroy our children. Satan wants to destroy our children and our young people. And it's time for us to stop that. In reading the latest newsletter from Creation Ministries International, and by the way, if you want to get a copy of that uh, newsletter called Prayer News, you can just uh, type in in your uh, you know, computer, creation.com. Simple as that. And you'll get onto the Creation Ministries International website. But I, I was reading this uh, newsletter, and the lead article was written by their CEO, Gary Bates. And it brought to my attention one of the main reasons for our need to continue to dig deep into our study of the book of Genesis. He began the article by asking this question, and I want you to listen to the question. I'll probably repeat the question again. I'm one who truly believes that repetition is one of our greatest teachers, and sometimes even if I repeat it twice, we probably need to hear it about three or four times. I'll just do it twice today. But the question is this. If you knew in advance that more than half of the youth in your church were going to walk away from Christ after they leave home, wouldn't you want to do something about it? Isn't that a tremendously uh, insightful question? If you knew in advance that more than half of the youth in your church were going to walk away from Christ after they leave home, wouldn't you want to do something about it? He then gave some very telling statistics. Listen carefully to what he, what he discovered. He said, first of all, that the Southern Baptist report 88% of children leave the church never to return. That's a staggering uh, statistic. 88% in the Southern Baptist churches. Children will leave the church never to return. George Barner research found that six out of ten active youth stopped being involved in church in their adult years. The Gallup poll finds church attendance to drop to 32% during teen and adult years. Now some might say, well, it doesn't seem too staggering until you turn it around into the other perspective and realize that's a 68% loss. A seminary survey finds up to 50% of youth struggle in their faith after university graduation. And USA Today reports that 7 out of 10 leave the church by age 23. And similar things are happening in Western churches in general. Now that's a report coming from one creation ministry. Last year, Ken Ham, who was with another ministry called Answers in Genesis, he wrote a book last year entitled, Already Gone, pertaining to the very same tragedy affecting our youth and churches. And of course, coming from two different creation ministries, even though they're very similar in, in what they teach and preach, and, and certainly it's nice to have two ministries that go out and cover a, a broad, broad uh, a scope as far as the church and the world is concerned. But coming from two different creation ministries, the answer rings similarly true. And it has to do with what our children are being taught in public schools today and the confusion that they face in being told one thing in their classes and another thing in their Sunday school lessons. But let me tell you, or or let me just bring this home to you with this true story. Dr. Jonathan uh, Jonathan Sarfati, one of uh, CMI's staff scientists and speakers, was speaking at Calvary Chapel, South Denver. The pastor of of that church is a good friend of mine. His name is Gino Garesi. I actually uh, ran into Gino in Israel a few weeks ago. And we were just crossing paths and all of a sudden, hey, what are you doing here? It was neat to see him. But um, Pastor Gino was 
was one of the first responders to the Columbine High School massacre on April 20th, 1999. How many of you remember that? If you remember, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold were the two senior students who killed 12 fellow students and one teacher. It's been reported that one of those killers was wearing a t-shirt that said, Natural Selection. That is a an evolution term. Natural selection. Pastor Gino, while given the opportunity to minister uh, and counsel many of the of the students and the faculty of, of Columbine High School, he was also given the opportunity to minister to the superintendent, the education superintendent, who was very, very upset over what had happened. And all he could ask Gino was this question. Why? Why? And Gino looked him in the eye. And he said this. Listen, I, I tell you this. I, I truly believe this was, 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 was inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But Gino said to this superintendent, You have taught our children that they come from nowhere. And that is where they're going. And that life is a point of pain in a meaningless existence. And they believed you. That is heavy, isn't it? You ask why? Let me tell you why. You have taught them. They come from nowhere. And that's where they're going. That life is a point of pain in a meaningless existence. And they believed it. Carl Sagan, in essence, was teaching pretty much the same thing when he taught his series on the cosmos, the little blue dot. Remember that? We showed the little slide. And he said, well, think about this. Here we are in this little blue dot. And what kind of meaning do we really have? Richard Dawkins, the atheistic evolutionist who enjoys attacking the church and the Bible and Christianity and Christ himself says that in fact we we really have no purpose in life read his stuff oh he's so popular bestseller telling people we have no purpose no real purpose You see, even though these two boys had many other issues that could be construed as being reasons for their outbursts of anger and rage and hatred, Columbine may very well stand in part for the fruit of the indoctrination of children through evolutionary teaching that is mandated in government schools. While creation is not even given a second thought, they don't want to hear it. And what we're going to find out today is that is their whole intent. Whether there's anything for evolution to stand on, which we realize there really isn't very much for them to stand on, because most of, most of it is supposition and assumption. Nevertheless, they don't invite any discussion with creation because they don't want to believe that there's a God who created the heavens and the earth the way he did. And yet that's what we believe. That's why I asked you the question, do you believe this? I do. Because God said it. But see, that didn't just begin then. You can go all the way back to Charles Darwin himself to find evidence that the real reason for the conflict between the so-called science of evolution and the scriptures was that science was driven by a spiritual agenda and not so much a philosophical agenda. It was driven by a spiritual agenda. It was from the very writings of Charles Lyell, Darwin's main influence, whose desire was, and I quote, to free science from Moses. In other words, the earliest atheistic, uh, humanistic evolutionists sought 
to to dethrone the Scriptures. That was their whole aim. It wasn't philosophical, it was spiritual. But go even further back in time, to the time of uh, the Apostle Peter, who wrote with such inspired wisdom these words in 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 7. Listen carefully to what Peter says. Consider carefully that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say what he does and to affect the days and times in which we live right now. He said, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. We're living in the days that can be considered the last days. What do we have all around us today? Scoffers. Walking after their own lusts. That should say it all right there. They don't want to invite any kind of healthy debate. They just want to make fun of. And saying, where is the promise of His coming? That's a, by the way, that's a mocking statement. So where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, and I want you to know what is what's underlined. All things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Do you know that that's what evolutionists still say today? All things continue as it, as it was from wherever creation may have been. I mean, we, you know, the, billions of years ago. See, don't, don't be confused to think that the Big Bang was really the beginning of it all. It just happened because something had to have been a little before that. We don't really know. It wasn't God, though. It was just natural. Maybe just some freckle flying through the space, colliding with another freckle. And we have a Big Bang. It happened 12 billion years ago. Anybody there to see it, to record it? But this is science! And Peter says, oh, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And then he says, for this, they willingly are ignorant enough. Folks, did you hear, did you hear that? That's what you need to catch here. They were willingly ignorant. They chose to be ignorant of the truth. For this, they were willing, they were willing, uh, for this, they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. And the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. In other words, Peter's referring to the flood. We're going to talk about the flood pretty soon. Hopefully before the fire comes, because Peter goes on to talk about that fire. He says, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. They don't want to know that. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to know that there's a God that brought judgment upon the earth, you see. Peter nailed it, didn't he? They willingly are ignorant of. Oh, all things continue. See, what the the atheistic evolutionist is saying even today is this. There are no signs of a beginning and no prospect of an end. That's what they're saying. All things continue. That's not what God says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there will be a day when this heaven and this earth will be destroyed and a new heaven and a new earth will come. All of these atheistic evolutionists who consider themselves to be great scientists are forgetting one thing. They're forgetting the very fact that there is a new principle that, well, it's not new to us. I mean, it may be new to some people, but but this is a principle that once the earth started falling into place uh, as God after after the sin of man, what what do we talk about so much about? The second law of thermodynamics that says everything is wearing out, everything is slowly coming to an end. That's scientific. Supposed to believe it, but. All things continue. So, times have not changed. Ideas have not changed. They've only gotten worse. And how appropriate is the question that Jesus posed to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. How appropriate is that question? Look at at verse 12 of John chapter 3.
if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Was this, was this not the premise of how we began our study in the book of Genesis in January of 2010? That if you can believe the first four words of Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God, then you can believe all of the scripture. So if we believe what happened on this earth when God created it, we can believe Jesus in John 3.16 when he said, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whether Jesus said it or not, you know, it's in red in our red letter Bibles. Uh, some believe John said it, but it doesn't matter. It's inspired by God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We can believe that because we believe that God created the heavens and the earth the way he said he did. And so Jesus said, if I told you earthly things and you don't believe it, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? That's the confusion of kids today. Because they'll hear about all of these things that they came from monkeys and they came from apes and they, you know, that, uh, you know, billions of years had to transpire before this happens and billions of years will have to have, 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 uh, you know, go on before we can uh, achieve some kind of, some, some kind of credibility to evolution. Think about it. Evolution is supposed to be making us better, not worse. I look out at the, at the world today, there's the chaos and the confusion and, and the hatred and the, and the rage and the anger. Just look over the bridge over here in Juarez and see what's happening over there. Are we getting better? No? Yes. No. Oh, then we must not be evolutionists here. Because evolutionists think, think things are getting better. If we throw out a literal atom then what else must we throw out of the scriptures? And what do we do with Paul's teaching on the sin dilemma of mankind? What are we going to do about Paul who believed that there was an Adam? Notice how he says in Romans 5.12, Wherefore is by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Boy, he believed in Adam and Moses. What's wrong with Paul? Nothing, right? He believes God's word. Y'all here? Okay, I just want to make sure. Don't be thinking about lunch yet. Don't be thinking about lunch. They'll be there still. The restaurants will be waiting. You'll get your food. Listen carefully. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, Adam, much more than which much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, Adam, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous, Jesus. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul, preaching under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, man, there was an Adam That's the reason why we have a dilemma. That's the reason why we need to be saved. That's the reason why Jesus came. That's the reason why Jesus died. That's the reason why he shed his blood for for the forgiveness of our sins. And that's the reason why he resurrected from the dead. But then in 1 Corinthians 15, he speaks about Adam again. In verse 20, he says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, that's Adam, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And then he says in verse 45, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a, quick, a quickening spirit, which means he was a life-giving spirit. Adam was a living soul, but Jesus is a life-giving spirit. 
But here's the question. Why would Paul even bother if Adam was just a figment of someone's fertile imagination? Why would he even bother to write about sin? Why would he even bother to write about the need for a Savior? If he didn't believe that there was an Adam. And in believing that there was an Adam, in believing that God created the heavens and the earth the way he said he did in six 24-hour days. Dr. Allen, uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Andrew Snelling from Answers in Genesis summed it up this way. Listen carefully to what he said. He said, if Genesis is not real literal history with a literal Adam and Eve, and if sin and death did not literally enter the world through their actions, then we don't literally need to be saved from anything. And Jesus' sacrifice is meaningless. If that's the case, then you know what? We'll see you guys later. Go to lunch. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow, you will die. And so, biological naturalistic evolution is just one battlefront that we face in the war on truth. But there's another front in the war on truth for which we need to be spiritually and scripturally equipped And that is the facing of the onslaught of spiritual evolution. Now we've talked about natural evolution, but now this is spiritual evolution. You know what it is? It is the New Age mysticism. New Age mysticism, New Age spirituality. Things when when you read of contemplative prayer or contemplative prayer, these are methods of the New Age spirituality. They were brought about by Eastern religions as promoted by Oprah Winfrey. And the same spiritual confusion being ushered into the church by the emerging church movement through undiscerning pastors, evangelical pastors, Undiscerning churches and undiscerning whole denominations buying into New Age spirituality. In Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus is telling his disciples about what is going to be coming in the last days, he mentions things that happen. And he only had to mention them one time. He talked about wars and rumors of wars. He talked about nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Talked about famines and pestilences and earthquakes and the like. But all those things were only mentioned once. But in that great warning that he gives in Matthew 24, three times he mentions something else. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. The warning is about deception. He says, Take heed that no man deceive you. No man. doesn't matter whether he... uh, wears an orange robe and has a shaved head with a little ponytail sticking out the back of his head, plays a tambourine, and begs for money at airports. I don't think they do that anymore. At least I haven't seen them. Or a person who has got a slick three-piece suit on and can be seen worldwide on TV. Let no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Now understand this, when Jesus said that, he's not only talking about those who would actually preach that they themselves were the Christ. Because there have been many who have done that. They've come along and said, you know, I'm the new Messiah. Or else they're touting some other person and saying, you know, this is the new Messiah. Listen to him. They're usually half crazy anyway. But Jesus was also talking about those who would have the outward covering of preaching Christ. And yet still would deceive with the message. 
Take, for example, the Mormon church. The Mormon church preaches that Jesus is the Christ. The question is, who is their Jesus? Because their Jesus is not the same Jesus as the Jesus of the Bible. You see? So it's easy to be deceived. And you know what? About 9 million people have been deceived into Mormonism. Sounds pretty good. They, you know, their, their ministers go about their, their, you know, on, on bicycles and white shirts and black ties and they go to your house and got name tags. They're about 19 years old, but they're called elders. That's confusing. And they try to push a message. The more you read about it, the more you realize if you have discernment, you know it's not the truth. It's not the truth. So Jesus was warning about deception. And then in verse 11, he mentions it again when he talks about false prophets. He says, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. That's happening today. You jump down to verse 24. The third time Jesus focuses upon this issue, he says, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now the good thing about that statement is, if it were possible. But the fact of the matter is, even if we are elect, even if we know that we've been chosen and called by God, listen, we still need to be discerning. We still need to keep our antennas up. We still need to compare everything to God's word. We must continue to do that. The Apostle Paul in Romans 16, verses 17 and 18 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Mark them. Point them out. And avoid them. He says, point them out and let people know. Listen, don't listen to this stuff. (laughs) Avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. I have struggled over the years with the messages given by Rick Warren from Saddleback Church. The purpose-driven church, the purpose-driven life was quite a (laughs) publishing phenomenon. (coughs) So much was written uh, by him and then, you know, all of a sudden there was this uh, this whole culture of, of purpose-driven materials. And uh, as I began to read them and, 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 and try to understand, I realized there's something wrong here, something not, not quite right. He has to use upwards of eight or nine different Bible translations to get his message across. That's why I only use the King James here, okay? So New King James is fine here, but, you know, just just so you'll know. We can still get out, you know, if we have to keep using all kinds of modern translations, especially the message, I think that's a problem. But uh, eventually, he started coming up with all kinds of other things beyond the purpose-driven life. He started having a peace plan, P-E-A-C-E, you know, to bring world peace. He goes to Syria and uh, uh, says, you know, well, we have to go talk to these people over there in Syria. And, you know, well, they're good people and all. But these are enemies of Israel. Something's wrong there. I'm a little, prob- a little pro- it's a problematic thing for me because God called us to support Israel. And uh, then the enemies of Israel, they want to destroy them and drive them into the sea. God has something planned for them, and I certainly don't want to mess with it. So we have that issue. But then you come to find out, and you can actually look this up and, and, and see that it's, it's true, that he has had a, at his pulpit, he's had a, a Muslim imam speak. Now, folks, I'll tell you this. If I ever had a Muslim come up and speak here, you guys just walk out the door. Please do that. Please do that. Because from this pulpit, there's only one thing that goes forth, and that is God's word. That's it. But I was so, I was so burdened and so, so, you know, it was just weighed so heavy because, see, folks, by the way, I, if, I, if I ask an ex-Muslim who comes and preaches Christ, that's okay, okay? Is that right? All right. Don't get those two mixed up. 
But the point is that it doesn't stop. Now he's got another thing called the Daniel plan. And it's a health and wealth, uh, health and wellness thing. And he, and he's uh, recruited three secular doctors. But they're not so secular. Because one of them is Dr. Oz. Has anybody heard of Dr. Oz? It's not, we're not talking about the land of Oz. We're talking about, well, he, he must be from the land of Oz. But, but his, he's, he's, uh, one of Oprah's, uh, you know, gurus, as it were. Well, from what I understand, his background is, is Muslim, but he, he, is, he is a proponent of something called Reiki, which is a Hindu-based, a mystical type of a healing type of thing. Okay, I'm not going to go into any great, great detail about it, but he's had him speak at his pulpit. Why? And the other two doctors that, uh, that are involved as well, I don't know all their backgrounds all that much, but, but you know, I, I, we can't do that. That's not what this is all about. It has to be about Jesus. It has to be completely about Jesus, you see. So when all of these things are happening, the reason I mark it out is because I don't want you all to be confused and, 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 and deceived. Yes, it sounds good. I, I, I hope Rick Warren is saved. I really do. I hope he, you know, I really do. I don't know if all of these other things are happening. But I do pray for him. Because what an influence he has. I mean, even to the effect that even some, some news outlets call him America's pastor. Well, he's not my pastor if he does those things. Do you all understand what I'm saying? All right. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of, of the simple. Folks, I hope you're not the simple. I hope you are the ones who are the Bereans who will search things out, seek things out, study things out, and, and answer things out because they have to line up to the Word of God. That's what you need to be. Good words and fair speeches, save that for the politics. Save that for the politicians. There's one good politician going around, good words, fair speeches, but when they get elected, they do nothing. Folks, it's about the truth. Paul said to, to his own son Timothy, uh, son in the faith, 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I added that to the thought I wanted to give you. Because you need to realize, we will suffer persecution for what we stand for. We will suffer it. But notice what he says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. They will become worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Folks, the holy scriptures will make you wise unto salvation. I am a little afraid nowadays to go into any Christian bookstore because I can find certain books that are pointing to the truth and then a whole lot of others that don't. And I'm, I'm a little concerned about that. We have to be discerning. Even going into a Christian bookstore, be discerning. Be a Berean. Because it is the scriptures that will make us wise unto salvation, which is in Christ. All scripture, he says, is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is God-breathed. And is profitable for doctrine. There it is again. Doctrine, teaching. All scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect through thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Thoroughly furnished. The whole whole of the Bible, folks, from Genesis to Revelation, will make us holy and completely and thoroughly furnished to do the things that God has called us to do. It is the Word of God, not the ideas or philosophies and thoughts of man, but the Word of God. When you come here, we're not here to entertain you. I know I've said this before. And if I sound like a broken record, if you don't know what a broken record is, gee whiz, you know. So, I'm a dinosaur, what can I tell you? (laughs) But folks, listen. (sighs) Time and time again, we need to realize... We have to listen to God's word. That's what gives us, puts us on that right path. He says that the man of God and the woman of God may be perfect, complete in other words, thoroughly furnished unto all good works.
Time doesn't permit me to note in detail the heresies that are almost daily dispensed on Oprah's TV and radio networks. You know, she had a program now, you know, I think that can't put that aside, but she still has her own network now. And she's got a TV, a radio thing on, on uh, Sirius FM, uh, the Oprah radio. And, and uh, so here is where she parades her new age gurus such as Eckhart Tolle and uh, Marianne Williamson and Rhonda Byrne. Anybody heard of Rhonda Byrne? Okay, Rhonda Byrne, and I think you'll, you know, if, if you've ever heard of the book that she wrote, she, she actually wrote a book, uh, and she claims that she was guided by a spirit guide to write this book. The spirit guide told her what to write. Became a bestseller. It's called The Secret. Anybody heard of that one? No? Some of you have? Raise your hand if you've heard of The Secret. Ah, so you've heard of The Secret. You know what? Most, more of you should know that. See, we need to be aware. I mean, there's some things we don't want to like get into because we, we have to consider that we have to, again, put things up to the Word of God. But the point of the matter is we need to be, we need to be listening. We need to be aware of these things. Because all of these things that these people purport to, uh, you know, or, or uh, uh, lay before the people is, is, is all heresy. And, and uh, then uh, again, I mentioned Dr. Mehmet Oz, uh, just to name a, a few. Uh, what, what is their intent? Here, here's the question. What is their intent? Now, some people have said, well, you know, maybe Oprah, you know, she, she got into all this pop psychology and pop philosophies and all these kind of things, and she really doesn't know what she's saying. Folks, don't believe that. She knows exactly what she's doing. She knows exactly what she's doing and what she wants people to know. She may be a good person who wants to give away money and give people cars and all kinds of stuff. But you know what? That's a scream, man, because you need to realize she wants to change your heart and your mind, not your pocketbook. She wants to get you so far away from God and so far away from Jesus and so far away from the truth. That's her intent. Listen, I've, I've seen her. and you've, I'm, If you've watched her show, you've seen her. People ask her, well, what about Jesus? Oh, no, listen, Jesus isn't the only way. She has said this. Look it up on YouTube. Oh, Jesus isn't the only way. We can't be so narrow-minded. Oh, yes, we can. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Well, I'm going to follow Jesus then. It's time we get narrow-minded here. At the same time, be open and rational and listening and discerning to things. Well, there's many other ways to God. Oh, yeah, really? Jesus said, there's a road that's broad and leads to destruction. And there's a narrow road that leads to life. Which one are you going to get on? So, they know exactly what they're doing. She knows exactly what she's purporting here. And, and, and folks, listen, it's, it's to make it clear to an undiscerning world that there is not an absolute omniscient God who created the heavens and the earth and is over and above all of his creation. But that God, in their view, is in each and every one of us. And in everything, for that matter. They're pantheists and panentheists. A pantheist is one who believes that God is is everything, and a panentheist is one who believes that God is in everything. And this is what they are. And this is what they're saying. And when, and then when we are conscious of the fact that God is in us, then we will be God. That's what they teach. And that's getting into the church today. Actually, it's gotten into the church a long time ago. So this Eastern mystical spirituality and philosophy has found its way into certain churches. Uh, some may be called word of faith, prosperity type. You know, it's put into kind of biblical language and stuff. It's a receptive package. But the worst of this has to be in the marriage of biological and spiritual evolution. You see, for us, those are two battlefronts. The third battlefront is those who combine both. Now, I'm not talking about theistic evolution. I'm going to talk about that later when we talk about the, uh, the age of the earth. You know, that uh, the Bible teaches a young earth, uh, even though some people think it, uh, you know. Uh, they have to put in a, a verse uh, between verse 1 of Genesis 1 and verse 2. We talked about the gap theory a long time ago, if you remember. hope you remember. 
But anyway, they, they think that in that gap is millions of years. So God evidently used evolution to bring about creation. But that's, that's, that's not true. Okay, so anyway, that's, that we're not dealing with theistic evolution. We're not dealing with, with, with spiritual and, and uh, natural evolution coming together. That's a whole other battlefront. And that is where we find the emerging church. Because that's what they're promoting. See, once they get away from the Word of God, they have to start, they have to start getting away from the, the, the very foundation of the truth. You can go to emerging churches now that are truly and out, just outright emerging. and You can go in there. You don't even have to take a Bible. They, they would rather you not take a Bible because we're just going to tell nice stories. And, and, kind of, and we might refer to a, a Bible character or, or something, but that's not what it's all about. And we need to be open. We need to be open to all kinds of things. We need to be open to Buddhism because they have a way to God too. And, and, they, and, and maybe there are some Hindu things. And, you know, if you want to do yoga and whatever it is, you know what I mean? They have all kinds of ways. And we should listen to it. We should be open. That's what Jesus taught us to do. Is that really right? I've never seen that. I've never seen where Jesus said, guys, again, I refer to John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the only way. The host of a teleseminar entitled Evolutionary Christianity, the Reverend Michael Dowd, made the comparison. Yes, he's a pastor, by the way. The Reverend Michael Dowd made the comparison to, and I quote, how ancient people made up gods when they didn't understand phenomena like lightning and thunder. And in the same way, it is implied what we've learned about how the universe actually works now that we know everything evolved over billions of years. The Genesis myth is, if not outmoded, in need of a serious reappraisal to see where it actually fits in an enlightened postmodern outlook, end quote. He says he believes in billions of years and he believes that Genesis is a myth. Brian McLaren, who is uh, considered one of the key figures in today's emerging church movement, says that these evolutionary beliefs that couldn't have been known prior to the modern age are so much richer that the mythic beliefs uh, than the mythic beliefs we had before. Brian McLaren calls Genesis a mythic belief. And then he goes on, he says, mythic beliefs like God's creation of the world, his providential love for humanity that caused him to not to abandon us even before we rebelled. Mythic beliefs like God coming to earth in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. In other words, he calls Jesus' physical birth or Jesus putting on flesh as mythic. And then dying the most ignominious, horrific death. He calls uh, mythic beliefs like him rising from the dead. He doesn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But this is a pastor and a leader of a movement called the Emerging Church. I don't consider it emerging. I consider it submerging. Pretty soon it's going down. Mythic? That's why I asked you the question. Do you believe this? I do. Because God gave it to us. It's his word. It's about time we start taking a stand for what's truth. Hey, we haven't even touched on the battlefronts of the Islamic threats to Judeo-Christianity worldwide, nor have we even dealt with the battlefronts of political correctness and intolerance toward the Christian faith. I mean, those are battles that we need to deal with. You know, we're constantly being attacked because we speak what the Bible says about same-sex marriage and, and homosexuality and all. We're not doing it from a standpoint of hate. We're doing it to try to awaken people to the fact that God loves you and wants you right with him. That's not hate speech. The hate speech comes from those on that side attacking us for doing what we believe is what God called us to do. And you know what? It all seems overwhelming. I'm even overwhelmed by talking about it. It seems so overwhelming. Because we have to ask, where is our hope? Where is our strength? Where is our wisdom to be able to stand against all these things? I'll tell you where it is. Our strength and our wisdom and our hope lies in Jesus Christ. Our hope lies in the Word of God. Our hope lies in the power of the Holy Spirit. Our hope lies in the fellowship of the saints, the true saints of God, the true saints of God who believe the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. That's where our faith lies. That's where our strength lies. That's where our wisdom lies. 
But we have to do a couple of things too. We have to put aside those things that get in the way of the truth. Just as Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15 and 16, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that ye which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Listen, we, we can't bring together what God has said is his truth and take all the falsehood of, of the New Age movement and, and evolution and all these other things and marry them somehow. You know what that's called? It's called compromise. God did not call us to compromise his word. But uh, maybe you'll understand it even better when Paul speaks to the Galatians. In Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. What did he attack there in, 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 in Galatians was, was the, the Judaizers who kept telling people, listen, you're not going to be a good Christian until you're a good Jew first. You gotta get circumcised and you gotta start doing the sacrifice and this and you know, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does Paul say? He says, but though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. In other words, let him be anathema. That's one of the strongest words in the Bible. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so now, say now I again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that then that you have received, let him be accursed. Let him be cursed. People say, well, you're supposed to be more tolerant. Tolerance goes out the window when God says, this is my truth. You do it. But I think the best verse of scripture is Ephesians 5.11. And I'm going to read on after that, but look at verse 11. Have no fellowship. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The word of God is called the light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever does make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly. So what are we supposed to do? We need to walk carefully in this world. Circumspectly means that we're to have our eyes all around us, you know. We know that the Lord is our rear guard, but nonetheless, we still need to know what's all around us. And we need to be careful where we walk, what we walk, and how we walk. And he says, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Even 2,000 years ago, Paul knew that the days would be evil. They're not good days today, are they, in the world? Chaos, confusion, murder, terrorism. And all of that right next door to us. But we're not immune. Why, why are we in this, in this city having so much trouble with you know, domestic violence? And we have our murders here too. We have, we, we have a lot to deal with here. Even though we're called one of the safest cities in America, I mean, to, to, to know that is, is not to put our guard down. I still hope you lock your doors at night. Protect your families. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 
Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Stop and think about that. Is the word of God in you so much that you are able to just speak what God has given to you? What God has put into you? And into your mind and into your heart? Have there been times, just ask yourself. Have there been times when you've had to tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ, you didn't have your Bible in hand, but all of a sudden you started saying things that were coming from your very heart, but they were the Word of God. And then you asked the question, where did that come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. And it also came from the fact that you've probably read and studied the way you're supposed to. Don't stop that. Keep studying. Keep reading. Keep growing. Keep realizing that the days are as evil as they are. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Are you praising God? Are you praising God for what He's done for you? Because you know, a lot of times people find themselves in all kinds of trouble, but they, they, they don't know how to get out of these troubles. You ever heard of Jehoshaphat? First Chronicles 20 or Second Chronicles 20? Read it sometime. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and the people of Judah were surrounded by three armies that were ready, Moab, Ammon, and Mount Seir, ready to come and pounce on, on all of Judah. And they got on their hands and knees and their faces and they prayed unto God. And God told them, get the worship team out in front. I'm sure the worship team is all excited about that. <laughs> Put the worship team out in front. And you start praising me. The battle is not yours, it's mine. And when they started praising God, those other nations, those armies, destroyed themselves. Have you praised God for His goodness? Have you praised God for His being your rear guard, for being your strength, for being your shield and your buckler? Are you praising God every day? Paul says it's important to do that. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That's what we need to do. In these days and times in which we need to stand upon the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth of the word of God. And know that every word from Genesis to Revelation is true. And so this is the war that we as believers in Jesus Christ are engaged in. A war for truth. One with many battlefronts that affect our lives and those of our children and our children's children. It is our duty as followers of Jesus Christ to pray for daily discernment in all these matters. Are you praying daily for God to give you discernment so that you can weigh out all the things that you're going to face today and tomorrow? So that you're not taken in by deception. I want to leave you with three quotes. The first is by Professor Richard Lewontin, a geneticist and a self-proclaimed Marxist. His name is either Lewontin or Lewontin. If he's French, I don't know. But anyway, he's a geneticist. He's a self-proclaimed Marxist, which makes him a socialist communist. But he is considered one of the world's leading evolutionary biologists. And I want you to consider his implicit philosophical bias against Genesis creation. It is a spiritual bias as well. Listen to what he said. He said, we take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, that's why I've oftentimes said evolutionists don't even agree with each other. I go on. He said, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. He's just laying it out bare for us to realize. This is what evolutionists are really, this is their whole intent. 
It is a commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. And you're probably sitting there going, what is he saying? Well, this is what I want you to hear. Moreover, that materialism is an absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. Now, did you catch that? I don't care if you caught all the other stuff. Did you catch that? He says, we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. We can't allow for God creating the heavens and the earth. We are materialists. We are naturalists. You see, it's not just a philosophical bias. It is a spiritual attack. It is a spiritual bias. Evolutionists do not like to debate with very well-prepared Christian creationists because the creationists will eat their lunch. They just don't want to believe that there's a God. They can't agree on anything in evolution. They agree on one thing. We can't let God put his foot in the door. That's what tells me they want to destroy our children and wipe out any vestige of the knowledge of God and of Christ. But we're not going to let it happen. We're going to teach the truth. Moms and dads, start teaching your kids about Jesus. Don't depend on Sunday school here. This is good, but this is just supplemental. You're the teacher. And you have to be the example, too. You better check your life. You better check your heart. The second quote I want to leave you with is Peter's quote in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 and following. Peter said, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. I'll tell you right now, if you do your homework, evolution is a cunningly devised fable. If you do your homework, uh, the New Age mysticism and all of that stuff is a cunningly devised fable. Peter says, We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter is saying, I have seen Christ glorified. I have seen it. And there are two other witnesses, James and John. He says in verse 17, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount, the mount of transfiguration. When we were with Jesus there, we saw him and we heard this. He's giving testimony. But what does he go on to say? He says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. You have a Bible? Let me see it. I want to see it. (laughs) Good. Good for you. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed. He says, I have seen, I give you testimony, I've seen the glory of Christ. I've heard what the Father has said. But you know what? This I want you to take heed of. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Please remember that. We have a more sure word of prophecy. We need to take heed of it. Lastly, the words of Jesus himself. In Luke 11.35, Jesus said, Take heed therefore. 
that the light which is in thee be not darkness. <coughs> Take heed that the light which is in thee be not darkness. Warren Smith, who was here a few months ago, uh, who wrote uh, a number of books, and I heard him on a television program this past week and spoke to him on the phone for a little while about, about that, wrote his testimony in a book called A Light That Was Dark. Sounds funny, doesn't it? But it comes from this verse. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. Because that was his testimony. He was so involved in the New Age movement. Everything that they say is enlightenment. It's supposed to be enlightenment to people. But he realized that at some point in time in his life, that light was dark. The only light that was bright was the light of Jesus Christ. And the light of God's word. We need to turn that light on by taking that light And let it be a part of you. Stay in the word of God. Keep the word before you. Keep the word on your lips. Keep the word in your heart. Store it in your mind too. I mean, we're supposed to be rational beings. We're supposed to be understanding, intellectual in the sense of spiritually intellectual. But let's not be biblically illiterate, folks. Let's know God's word because our youth and our children depend upon it. That we stay faithful and that we continue to give a proper 